What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we're going to hear from Kara Song preaching the word for us today. I'm excited to have Kara share today's message. And many of you know Kara very well. I've only had the last eight months or so to get to know Kara. But one thing that I have sensed is that Kara is an incredible gift to this community. Uh, people have been blessed in so many ways by her presence. Uh, she is a part of our worship team. She serves in a whole bunch of different communities. She's willing to preach when I'm not able to. Kara has been such an incredible blessing to this church, so I'm grateful to have her here with us today. Uh, and we're going to hear the scripture for today. It comes from John chapter 20, verses 18 through 35. We're going to hear this story of uh, just after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what happens next. And Karen is going to share with us that scripture reading for today. So let's hear now the word of the Lord. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father had sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Hello, everyone. It's so nice to be here. For those who are online, you... Thank you for joining us online, but it's nothing like being here, right? 3D, I can't touch, but I can see you in full form. So thank you um, all for uh, putting 
up with me for the next 16 to 17 minutes. So um, when I was in California, uh, one of my job, right out of college, my first job was at a faith-based uh, nonprofit drug rehab residential center. And so because it was faith-based, we did not accept any client fees. We didn't require them to pay anything. And most of the ones that were coming in, right, from recovering an addiction to drugs, they didn't have any money anyway. So the job of the executive director, his name was John, my boss, was always hustling for money. He would go to churches, he would go to pastors, he would go to businessmen, right, because we needed money to, uh, to continue to help our clients. And so it was to the point that he was such a master in fundraising that when pastors would see him coming or when the businessmen would see him coming to their store, they would all of a sudden hold their wallet really tight because he had this gift that at the end of him conversing with you, you would be in tears and all of a sudden you would uh, take out your wallet and you give him hundreds of dollars or you would commit a full Sunday at your church for the whole, right, for donations all of that, those offerings would go to this church, right? They could not say no to John. He even got them one guy um, who had like just collected cars to give our organization three cars and I was able to uh, use one of them because no one could say no to John. For me today in deciding what to preach on, um, because I'm preaching at a Lutheran church and they use the lectionary, I had a choice of four different types of scripture verses. And because I've been guest preaching there, um, they generally like you to do the gospels. No offense, Lord, but I was gospeled out. Like all I taught was the gospel. So I said, I can't wait until I figure out, I wanna do the Old Testament, wanna do one of, you know, um, you know, Apostle Paul's epistles or the Psalms. But then I found out that this gospel is from John because I cannot say no to the gospel of John. I love John. We did an Adam Hamilton study, I think, on John. It was amazing. I love John. And that's why whenever you have a new believer, right, and they've never read the Bible, most people would say, start with the book of John. Nobody says start with the book of Matthew because it's that whole genealogy. So and so begat, so and so. You don't do that, right? You don't even want to go to Genesis. There's some kind of, you know, some funky stuff there that needs interpretation. But John, who cannot say no to John? So that's why uh, John is the chapter. And even though I'm not, I'm gospeled out. I never gospeled out when it comes to John. So I'm going to break this, uh, these scriptures up in two big. Uh, portions. So the first part, beginning with verse 19, um, this is the point in the Gospel of John where it was really commonplace to mourn for seven days. So the disciples have not yet left for Galilee. They've remained in Jerusalem. And then when Jesus shows them the scars, at the time, actually, scars helped identify someone, but also scars and wounds were sometimes used as evidence in court to show how much one had sacrificed to the cause. So, right, they were like, they were a badge of courage. Now, when I used to play women's rugby, yes, I played rugby. <laughs> okay, well, I, what I realized was I fell down all the time and I had a lot of scratches and I had a lot of bruises. And the other players would be like, oh, they would be so jealous of my bruises. They would be like, that, that, because I guess that showed how tough and rough you were. The more bruises you had, I had them all over, right, in my arms and my legs. Um, they were like, that's a badge of courage. 
I didn't really, I, I was too scared to them tell them that I actually had low iron, so I was just bruising easily all the time. I wasn't like fighting heavier than they were, but right, just like Jesus' scars were a badge of his sacrifice on the field, right, on the spiritual battlefield. Now, in Jewish tradition also, um, prophets often appointed their successors. So when the disciples understood that Jesus was authorizing them as the ones to carry on his work. Now, so Jesus said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. But it's not singular, right? It's plural. Like if Jesus was speaking to disciples in the South where I'm from, right? He'd go, so I send y'all. I remember it was very funny when I remember hearing someone from the North come down, and they don't say y'all. So I, they say you guys, right? So maybe to, Jesus would say, so I send you guys. He actually did not. He broke from tradition. He didn't say you, Peter. You messed up big time, but I'm gonna, you know, you're going to succeed me. He didn't say to his beloved disciple, who we think is John, you, John, you. He, he did it as a group, right? And so, um, and, and so that's, that's we, it's very important to remember this theme, because I will conclude with it as well, that he's commissioning all of us. Now, um, there's a section there that also talks about how he breathes on them. Now, in this day and age, right, we can't breathe on, an, on everyone. It could possibly lead to death, right? But Jesus' breath leads to life. It reminds us of how God breathed into Adam the breath of life, right? It gave life to humans. Um, Jesus' breath gives new life. Since the disciples, remember, at this point, essentially felt dead. They, right, the rabbi was just crucified, and in the Old Testament, God's spirit or wind revives the dead. So Jesus just knew that they needed a breath that would give them a new sense of purpose, a renewed sense of purpose. But also the breath of God can blow out fear and doubt and loss. Um, when I used to be like a youth director of this um, Korean church in Georgia, right, um, my mom was telling me, you know, I know a summer retreat's coming up, and I know this retreat camp that's free. Like, this, this retired Korean pastor bought all this land, and you guys can do your retreat there. I said, free? She said, free, yeah. She goes, we just have to have some of the mothers volunteer to cook, right, all the meals. I said, oh, no problem. So I go there, and immediately this pastor goes, are you going to do a campfire? And I said, I think we are, depends on how hot it is, right, in Georgia on a July uh, summer night. I said, and it also depends on whether the kids' lives, if I feel like it's changed, right? Because when you do a campfire, you do a testimony time, right? You get the kids to share what they learned and they were touched by God. And I always tell them, testimony, not testifony, right? No phony tears, right? You're, you're going to write testimony. So I told him, I'm not so sure, it depends on the weather. The next day comes around, and the retired pastor, he goes, are you going to do a campfire? I said, I don't know yet. Just wait. He goes, well, i got to get ready. i got to get things ready. And I was like, what? I mean, I just thought, you know, just the campfire, I see it. It's right there. I was like, okay. But that day of, I finally told the pastor, yes, I feel like the kids, right? I feel like they're getting blessed, and I think they're going to have some things to share. So we'll do a campfire. And he was so happy. He was, like, so giddy. And I get the sense that, you know, okay, look, pastors come, come in all different shades and colors, right? And I was like, this is one strange puppy. Because he was like literally dancing for joy that we're doing a campfire, right? And I'm in a family of a lot of pastors, so, right, <laughs> I know that they can be some funny ones, right? So at the end, oh, right, it's nighttime, and I lead the kids out. 
And when we go outside, it is the biggest fire I've ever seen, like wide and straight up high. I was like, wow. I was so, so impressed that this, this pastor prepared this for us. But as we got closer, we were all like this. What's that? What's that smell? The pastor was using us. Basically, for weeks and weeks, he was storing up his trash, and he put the trash in the middle of the campfire. He was burning trash. I, now, it was in the North Georgia mountains. I don't know if they didn't have waste disposal service, or he was just so cheap. He was waiting to burn trash for our campfire. And I remember thinking, not only like, it wasn't just food and things, right? It, it wasn't leaves. Like, I'm kind of used to that in Georgia. People would burn leaves or grass. It was like plastic. It, we, we could, you could hear the sparks fly. All the kids were like, <gasps> and I remember one of my assistants going, Miss Kara, I guess we're not doing s'mores tonight. I go, yeah, yeah, <laughs> put that away. And I remember at the time, like we were, we were, I mean, Georgia so was even more backwards in the early 90s when it came to recycling and preserving nature and environmental friendly. But even then we were like, this is so wrong. Like, we knew he put everything in there. Plastic, metal, aluminum, foil, we saw, we saw it all up in flames. And I said to the pastor, I said, um, you know, in the Korean culture, you kind of have to, like, give reverence to the pastor. You can't hurt his feelings. And he was so excited, and he wanted us to do the testimony time. And I said, um, pastor, I think we're going to do it inside today. He goes, why? I said, I said, well, um, well, first of all, it's really loud out here with the sparks. And I said, and, I, and, and the flames are so beautiful, it's just so distracting, we won't even be able to focus. And then I said, and, and he still was pressuring us to stay outside, and I said, um, well, some of our kids have asthma. And for those who don't, by the end of this campfire, we're all gonna have asthma, okay? So, so, he, so we, we scurry inside. And you know what? That trash was, that was left around the retreat center kind of reminds me of the trash sometimes that's left inside our soul, right? And that fire that was, right, is anything in the environment that is out of our control that suddenly, right, appears? A natural disaster, a pandemic, a loss of job, a death, systemic injustices, crime, right? If, and, and when it fuels that trash, it creates an awful, horrid smell. And that's what was probably most most revealing that night, right? You know, it's not a pleasing fragrance when fire is, is lit up to the, the trash of our souls, right? It's like, it's, it wasn't a pleasing fragrance going up to the heavens. And at the retreat, when we came inside, that fire was left burning for hours, right? You know, and it was, it was destroying that beautiful North Georgia mountain sky. And what I realized is what we needed right then was something that would come straight off a Marvel movie, right? A superhero with like supernatural breath that would just blow it away, right? If anyone remembers the old family comedy Pixar movie called The Incredibles, there was this character called Frozone. It was actually Samuel Jackson's voice. He would just freeze everything, right? And that's what we needed, right? You know, Jesus' supernatural breath not only blew away the old trash, of fearfulness and regret anxiety, the breath of Christ breathed into the disciples a new appointment, a new commissioning. It was the mission of the church. So grace, church, 
Are you ready for the breath of Christ, a new calling, a renewed sense of purpose? And do you desire the spirit of the living God to revive you? Now, the second part of John is that is about Thomas, right? right? Thomas did not doubt that the friends, that his friends think they saw something, right? But he really thought they saw a ghost, a phantom, a spiritual vision that was very common in pagan traditions. Or maybe it was actually even an image that was produced by a magician, right? Don't we do the same when we hear someone, um, one of our friends, sharing that they saw someone important in their life that had passed away, right, who had appeared to them? And it was so real, right, more than a vision. And, you know, sometimes we think, you know, there's something medically wrong, neurologically wrong with you. Let's do an MRI. Like, we don't actually doubt that they saw the person. We believe that. We just doubt the nature of that experience. So when Thomas finally, right, sees Jesus in true flesh and he's real, he makes that proclamation, my Lord and my God. And this is the climax of John, because nowhere else in the Gospels shares this encounter with Thomas. But you remember, the Gospel of John is very intentful. It's purposeful. He wants us to all know that Thomas's confession is Jesus's identity, my Lord and my God. Because around the time that this was written, and when, when the followers were reading this, it was repo reported that Roman historians, um, that the emperor Domitian, he wanted to be honored as Lord God. So you see what the Gospel of John was wanting the readers to hear, that no, not Domitian. In contrast, Jesus is our Lord and God, and that's why he intently is very much writing about Thomas proclaiming Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then lastly, John's was a signs guy. Like, do you, do you have someone in your life that's all about seeing signs? Right, you know, like I had a girlfriend and she got into a car accident. She was okay. But she goes, it's a sign from God. And I said, it's not a sign that you took a left on a red light? No, no, right? She said, no, it's a sign from God. I, I, this is waking me up, right? And then one time I, I dreamed of a snake. And I remember sharing it to like some old Korean grandma in the church. And she goes, ooh, in Korean culture, snake about money. You gonna be rich. I go, really? She goes, yeah, snakes in the Korean culture. If you dream about snakes, right? It's a sign that you're gonna be wealthy. Well, 30 years later, like, yeah, show me the money. It ain't coming, right? It wasn't, right? Where, where is it? So, right? So verse 29 to 30, right, is a continuation of a motif that John loves to use, and it's signs. Throughout the Gospel of John, he, he shares all these signs that Jesus does. So on the one hand, Jesus is like, right, do you always need to use signs, see signs to believe in me? But then on the other hand, in the next verse, John is like, Jesus did many other signs, too many to write in this book, right? He shows us signs can sometimes lead to faith, but sometimes it can lead to opposition, right? How about you? Have you had signs that led you closer to the active power of God in your life? But alternatively, do you depend only on signs? Do you have to have them that to seeing is to believing? Or do you have the type of faith that Jesus says, you know, blessed are you who have not seen and yet have come to faith, belief. Um, but most of us are probably like a balance of both, right? We live our life, but man, when there is a sign, it's unsettling, but it's like reassuring, right? And John is like that. He's about balance, right? Because again, he says, he's not saying signs is bad, right? But don't depend on it all the time. 
but, but Jesus, did, Jesus did so many miraculous uh, works and wonders and signs. So I want to conclude with something else that we can learn from today's passage, and that is the spiritual practice of gathering together. So if you're in grief, um, if you're um, confused, need to be comforted, if you're bewildered, and you don't know what the next step of your life should be, if you're broken, if you're brokenhearted, if you feel like trash, right, be with others in the same room, right? That's what we're learning. Even the Zoom room, it counts, right? Zoom rooms count. You be with others because maybe Jesus will join you. You know how Jesus appears past those locked doors, right? Well, the, today's contemporary version is this. If you're meeting in Zoom and it's a private Zoom room, you know, where you need that meeting ID and password and for the host to let you in, Jesus is like the Zoom bomber. All of a sudden he appears, he goes, peace, right? He's, he's bombing, right, right? That's the contemporary version of what it was like at, in that room with the disciples, right? Um, there have been many moments in my small group Zoom Bible study that I really sensed Jesus' presence through the other participants. Shout out to my Thursday night Bible study, which is now transferring to Tuesday night, and I know Thursday morning, I bet you would say the same, right, Carol? There were times Jesus was there, right, through others, because Jesus has commissioned us, has sent us to enter Zoom rooms, Microsoft Teams, Google Hangouts, and even in person to be his scarred hands and feet. And that's why I encourage you to be part of some kind of group in the church, wherever you are, wherever you live, whoever is watching, even if you're in another country. Because you know, as much as Jesus can speak to us individually about our purpose, you know, when we're standing or sitting in solidarity with others in a group, even if we're grieving at the same time, even if we have trash issues, Jesus is in the business of group commissioning, right? Giving purpose to a group of people because movements have begun that have alleviated poverty in Jesus' name due to a group, right? Movements have been done. Revivals have happened by the work of a group. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of the Haystack Prayer Meeting. It was held in Williamstown, Massachusetts in 1806. It was five Williams College students. They were just gathering together to discuss what's kind of going on in the spiritual uh, welfare of uh, people of Asia. So they were sitting under this grove of trees, and then all of a sudden, their meeting was interrupted by a thunderstorm, and the students ran and took shelter under a haystack until the sky cleared. And it was said of this event, someone writes, the brevity of the shower, the strangeness of the place of refuge, and the peculiarity of their topic of prayer all took hold of their imaginations and their memories. Because out of that haystack prayer group in 1806, the group organized, mobilized to what many scholars believe to be the seminal event for the development of the American Protestant missions for decades and for a century. They established the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. They sent their first missionaries to India, then China, Hawaii, Southeast Asia. They established hospitals and schools. Many of their um, you know, missionaries undertook translation of the Bible in native languages. Other groups became offshoot groups, like Global Ministries of the United Church of Christ. If you've ever heard of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is active in college campuses, this was an offshoot. See, church... May we use Jesus' scars as a badge of courage 
to do the things he wants us to do in our life and in our church. May we receive his breath of life. You breathe in his refreshing love for you, which can annihilate that trash within us. And may it heal us. And lastly, as Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, and all the more faithfully, as you see the day drawing near. Can we end with a short word of prayer? Dear God, we just take hold of their scripture messages today. Lord God, we ask you for a strong wind and breath um, of, of uh, anointing upon this church, that we do great and mighty things in your name because you're a great and mighty God. And though we are small, you are big. Even though we are weak, you are strong and mighty. Thank you for the opportunity. We look forward to what you will be commissioning us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.